we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 167 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Melissa. Melissa, we'll start with you. How are you? It's good to see you. Oh, it's nice to see you both. Thank you. I'm well. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. And welcome back. Bruce, how are you today? I'm healthy and alive, doing well. Um, yeah, just kind of taking it easy today, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, I hope you do too, because you deserve a break, just like everybody does. But you especially, you've had a rough year. I think out of out of all the stories, the horror stories that I've heard over the last year, you know, with like COVID finally ending and everything. And honestly, I have to say, not COVID related, I think you have probably had, out of all the people that I know and talk to, you have had the worst. Maybe the worst is is being too harsh, but you've had the roughest year, I think. Yeah, it's been, It's it, the thing is, is, when you when you remove all the, the the issues that we've had here, everything else is pretty good. I mean, life is still pretty good. I mean, groceries are expensive as hell, but uh, you know, other than that, life is pretty good still. Well, that's good. That's good to know that uh, the rough times don't get you down. You know, we were we were all I think all three of us simultaneously over the last forty five minutes have been scrounging, and I mean like scraping the bottom <laughs> of the barrel trying to find something that's going on today. And I can't find anything other than, did either one of you, did you hear about the uh, the crazy right-wing neo-Nazi that drove a U-Haul through the barrier and tried to kidnap Joe Biden? I did not hear you that. You didn't hear about this? <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't either. No. You haven't heard about this? The, no, the no crazy... I was busy looking at the volcano in Mexico. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, That the was crazy... the only thing I could find going on. Uh-huh. Yeah, the crazy right-wing guy. Now, again, crazy right-winger. Right. And they just mm -hmm. they just so happened to find a Nazi flag there on the ground. Did you see the Bruce? You see the white supremacist? You see the white supremacist? You see this guy, the white supremacist here? Yeah, uh, what is his name, by the way? He doesn't look <laughs> like on. a typical white supremacist. No, he is not your typical white supremacist. <laughs> no, but that's what they were branding him at first. I will get his name. Uh, uh, the white supremacist name is 19 year old Saivar Saithis Konduala. The white supremacist <laughs> that, you know, that that's quite a bit off from like Jethro or, you know, oh, or if it would have been James Jethro, or, if yeah, it would have been his, Jethro, he'd be his all friends over call him John, His friends call him John Smith, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, he tried to drive a uh, drive uh, tried to drive a U-Haul through the White House barriers, uh, and he claimed mm. that he wanted to kidnap President Joe Biden. And of course, there was a, as you can see there, there's a there, there's a flag. You know, they, they just so happened to find that laying on the ground right next to it. I, I'm sure it doesn't look staged or anything, does it? What was it? It's perfect. It's freshly dry cleaned and spread out perfectly. It's like the only thing they're missing there is like a, a steam iron to make sure it's flat enough on the on the cobblestone there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you see the officer in the back. You don't actually, but you see the officer in the background scrambling away as he's, you know, trying to adjust himself back after pulling a flag out of his pocket. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 19-year-old, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name again, suspect was detained by U.S. Secret Service at Lafayette Park, uh, a large public area in front of the White House. He said that he wanted to, he intentionally struck the barriers and he, he wanted to kidnap uh, Joe Biden, the, the president. To take him for a meal or what? Uh, maybe ice cream. I'm not sure. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. That's it. Could, it. Be, could be some chocolate chip ice cream. I don't know. <laughs> I so mean, apart from that, I mean, we're like I said, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. They're they're having to manufacture. St- I can't believe that's real. I'm sorry, I just I just can't. That's that's well, not even trying. They they have to make the precedent that there's a terrorist, you know, ingrown or homegrown terrorist. Uh huh. So they they have to make that precedent to continue their invasive look into the Catholic Church or you know any any Christian organization that they brand, you know, white supremacist or whatever. They they have to create the narrative that that's on the rise mm-hmm. they do you'd think they you'd think they would have found a better um i don't know a, a whiter supremacist something supremacist they could have thrown some fbi <laughs> patsy out there you know yeah. one of the guys from the patriot front or something yeah. but you know that's that's who they had to stick out there hold on hold on hold on a second Th- uh-huh. something just some, some, something just came up in in my thinking if you were to rush a military checkpoint with a u-haul you don't get arrested. They're, they're pulling out a body bag. How did he hit that? This is he tried to bust through the gates at the White House. Yes. And and it was being recorded. There's video of it. I saw the video of it. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But. So, uh, again, you set foot on the 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 green. You're getting a dog. Uh, you're going to have Secret Service guns drawn like you're getting shot. Well, you remember they shot that woman. Was that a couple of years ago? She drove through some barrier and they shot and killed her. Yeah. See, this is like there's it, perfect it, video. It's like right here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm I just and it doesn't even look like he's really trying to. Is it even anywhere near the White House? Yes, I mean, they've got there's like the, construction uh, over there on yeah, the side. And... Yeah, there's construction going okay. on on one of the lawns, I think. OK, so they've got like these, okay. you know how they do like with the barriers and everything up. Yeah. 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 OK, so again, like I said, I, I don't. It, it just it just came to my, my uh, remembrance that if you did this to any military installation, you're getting shot. You do this to the White House and, and you try to bust through, you're getting shot. So I, I don't know how they just arrested this guy. In other words, what I'm getting at is it seems staged. This doesn't seem real. Well, what, it, what you've got is a distraction from a distraction, because the only thing that's going on that we're being told in the news right now is the U.S. debt ceiling has to be raised. And Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, says if they don't raise it, then we're going to be in um, default on our debt. Who holds our debt? Uh, China, followed by Japan, I think, is. Yeah, the Europeans hold a couple of trillion, I think. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
Um, and so, but she says June one deadline or we're in default and they, the Republicans and the Democrats can't see eye to eye. And I mean, come on, what is the debt ceiling right now? It's something like 36, 37 trillion. Yeah. We're getting close to 40, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mar- Marty calls yelling. He calls her Betty White, the Betty White of banking, because she's, she's like, you know, she needs to be out spending time with her family. She doesn't need to be up there parading around on television, trying to convince people to do things one way or another when it comes to finances. No. And it's, it's funny, too, because I put up an old talk on Sunday for the Redux, an old talk of Alan Watts, and it was from November of 2006. And he just talked about the ridiculousness of the U.S. debt, the the whole – the point that he was really making is when do people decide that they're going to start paying attention to what's going on all around them? He said, you know, they all slept through GATT and NAFTA and the offshoring of all of their manufacturing to China. They just sleep through one event after another, and then he launched into a whole uh, talk on the the debt and the ludicrousness of the debt, both the fact of the debt and then the debt being held by foreign nations. But that's that's the only thing, you know, I don't know what they're afraid that people might just say going beyond 36 trillion is a bit much and the you know then the the orchestrators the producers go well let's find a white supremacist and put him in a u-haul and that's <laughs> funny isn't it when you strip away all this stuff when you when you finally just look at it and you think okay this is such an opportune time for them to just do something crazy and just stupid to take your attention off of something and right on cue. It, it's like clockwork mm-hmm. with these people. And it's it becomes laughable when you mm-hmm. when you start seeing through this stuff. Yeah. And, the, you, you know, you were venturing. We got into some, you know, of the philosophy or theology, if you will, behind extreme right wing movements before we you, you started the, the record. But one of the things that is just so boring and redundant and tiring here is the way that this is presented, that the reason why um, McConnell or McCarthy, sorry, and um, Biden can't come, can't see eye to eye on raising the debt ceiling is because of all of these far right, you know, again, it's the the MAGA crowd, you know, the who are they, Marjorie Taylor Greene and, you know, yes, the, the people yes. who are still promoting Trump, 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 Trump. And it's like, you know, they the, the, the these far right just don't want the American people to be protected. They don't care about the senior citizens and the veterans and the school teachers. Oh, no, the seniors and the veterans and the school teachers aren't going to get their retirement because it, you know, it's in jeopardy because of these far writers. And that's how they refer to them in the media, you know, the far they right do. members. They do. You know, I, I've looked at totalitarian movements for, I think my studies of, of far right and far left totalitarian movements started, I, I mean, I started studying the, the international communist movement about 15 years ago. I've studied the events of what led up to and what happened during and the fallout of the fascist movement in Europe during the Second World War. 
So I've looked at both sides of this, and I'm not I'm not a scholar. I'm just a novice in this. I, I dabble in this stuff because it's history, good and bad, right or wrong. We have to look at it because it's our history, and we have to make sure that those mistakes are not repeated. And I'll be honest with you, I'm looking at at all of these these claims, these outlandish claims that these media pundits and these politicians and everybody else, whoever's in the administration, the bureaucracy or whatever, they're all saying far-right extremists, MAGA Republican, far-right conservative, whatever, far-right, and I have yet to see any. Now, I, I, I was talking about the um, the Patriot Front group a couple of days ago and how much of a joke that is. If you can't tell that that's the FBI, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> but the, I mean, that's controlled opposition. That's as plain as day. But yet, I mean, if we're going to call out a far right group and it's a legitimate far right group, so be it. You're not going to get any argument from me, but let's see one first. And I'm not talking about somebody that's driving a, a U-Haul truck with a Nazi flag that looks like it was just retrieved from the dry cleaners and placed on the ground. That's ridiculous. That That's laughable. So if we're going to call these totalitarian movements out, then let's be equal about it. Where's the call to condemn the far left movements? Where's the call to condemn Antifa? What about the riots? What about the fact that Black Lives Matter and that movement was founded and run by hardcore Chinese trained Marxists? What about this? This is not discussed. This is never brought up. It's not even it's not even a discussion. And when it is brought up, theory. It, exactly. When it is brought up, it becomes that. Oh, it's, that's a crazy right wing conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. And that's an idea. Mm -hmm. Biden even said that in one of the debates. Oh, that's an idea, man. Well, be, wait, I mean, I see his point because they were mostly peaceful protests. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. When they're killing police officers, they're, they're yeah. mostly peaceful. Sure. Yeah. To to kind of go back uh, a little bit uh, to the debt ceiling argument, uh, just real quick. Uh, first of all, that's almost twice our GDP, first of all. Mm. And second of all, um, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, so they, they have a bunch of people, protesters, quote unquote, protesters that are, I guess, uh, I'm not really sure where they are. They're, they're somewhere in a hallway and it looks like they're pro this could be in one of the congressional buildings or something. But anyway, you, you have a bunch of people protesting inside the building. And it's interesting because, um, you know, those 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 groups we keep seeing come across the border illegally. Yes, man, that that group that's protesting, they look awful familiar because uh, they fit the same demographic. You're saying there's a connection there? Uh, maybe. I mean, because they all have pieces of paper that say default equals death and it's been printed out and they just hand it out on a you know normal sheet of uh, printer paper. They gave it to Do everybody they and they're all says? holding it. Do they even know what huh? it says? Do you remember I, the I, Occupy I, I movement? That, let's let's go back to the Occupy movement in 2010. Do you remember that? You guys remember the Occupy mm. movement, mm -hmm. yeah? yeah? The Occupy mm -hmm. Wall Street. A lot of those people, when they were approached by media people and, and independent media sources and things, they would ask them, they would find uh, individuals, say, like from, they, they look like they were of Latin descent or something. And it turned out that they didn't speak any English. And they were just holding up placards and they didn't even know what they said. I mean, they get paid to do it. And that's honestly, yeah, that's, that's why they're there. Looks like is going on here is it's just a bunch of paid actors going in and, and causing an uproar. And you know what? At, at this point, this is this is what this is what the uh, if you're if you're on the right and you're standing up and saying, whoa, we got to slow down on this debt spending and all this, you know, and um, and the, the left starts calling you all these names. 
you're going to have to learn to not care about those names mm-hmm. uh, and, and just continue to stand mm-hmm. and, and continue to encourage your senator, your uh, representative to continue standing. Make it clear that uh, we don't care what the left says. You continue to do as your constituents ask. That's good for our state uh, and our country. Then you'll have our vote. As long as they understand that and continue to stand, that'll help them stand uh, if they're truly about America. Because that's that's all this is. is They're just throwing mud at the wall to see what will stick. And and you as the average person, all you're hearing from the mainstream media is these Republicans are or these MAGA are standing against this and, and don't want, as you said, the senior citizens to get their money or the teachers to get their money or the, you know, uh, military to get their money. When, in fact, the Constitution says that those are the groups that have to be paid. Everything else doesn't. So like the government, they, they have to pay the pensions. But the other things that are part of government, that money should be stripped and used to pay for all the other stuff that's going on. Yeah, but Well, I have to tell you, too, that you got me going down a, a little area of research. When we spoke last time, you were talking about um, Soros and funding. And you said you did, you weren't able to pull that up right then about these visas and yeah, him, the, uh, him, right. yeah, the MasterCard thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did end up finding that scheme was done about six years ago, I think, maybe, maybe back in 2017. Yeah. And they tried um, the all the official um, fact checkers tried to debunk that. But it is a real story. It really happened. They couldn't. In fact, I found one debunker that said, oh, it, Soros did have a you know visa scheme for immigrants. But it led me into something that was going on in El Paso. Uh, I was trying to find if, if I could find a direct link between Soros and the immigrants that were coming over the border at that time. That the, What was that proposition called that just ended? Title, or Title 42. Title 42, yeah. Yeah. And so I was looking for it and I could not find, you know, oh, okay, here's the smoking gun. But what I did find was Soros money going into something that was called Proposition K in El Paso. And this was a proposition that it it ended up getting defeated by the El Paso voters, but it had a good amount of George Soros money in it. And what it was, was lobbying El Paso citizens to adopt a so-called climate charter. And if they did that, then they would have to create a climate department and um, create a, a hire a climate director. There would have to be like a nine person climate commission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, now that got shot down by the voters of El Paso. And the liberal press characterized that by saying, oh, it was all this oil money from Houston that got in there and funded the opposition to this proposition. But I, my thinking was, well, you had plenty of money. You had a lot of Soros money and a lot of money from other, um, gr- you know, in other words, to pass that. So don't blame it on the money. But what I found, I, I thought, is this just uh, El Paso, Texas? But no, this group of I mean, we're talking radical, radical, just like you think of, you know, any uh, Marxist trained group like Jock and Antifa, Black Lives Matter. But Sunrise El Paso 
is part of a larger national movement called the Sunrise Movement. And I don't remember now exactly how many groups there are, but I think it's about 400 or 450 of these hubs. And there are in every single state in the United States, very well funded, and they are pushing through radical climate change and they're um, targeting the youth. And one of the things I saw, I'm just going to try to pull up the website right now. Um, They're pushing the Green New Deal uh, but there is a place on the website, if I can get to it, where they're targeting um, school children. I'm just curious. I'm uh-huh. sorry. To, I don't mean to interject, but just so, for yeah. clarity, um, the, the I'm sorry. I, you know, every time I say that word now, I got uh, what's her name? Pippa stuck in my head. You know, the woman says we need clarity on the digital transactions. Yes. <laughs> I have that stuck in my head now. <laughs> uh, the Sunrise Movement. This is the youth led climate activist group. The, the sun, yes. Sunrise. OK. Yes. All right. I'm yeah, just, that that was that was being funded by George Soros. He was funding, George Soros. Okay, got it. Yeah, he was he was funding uh, Sunrise El Paso. So I I discovered of uh, the Sunrise Movement is nationwide, and here is what their website said: We will bring the movement for the Green New Deal to every student, classroom, and school in this country. We're taking over our schools. Together, we will fix our buildings and buses. Force our schools to teach us the truth about the climate crisis, make student lunches free, create pathways to green jobs, and ensure our schools have a plan for when climate disaster strikes. With millions of students on our side, we will transform our schools and win a Green New Deal. It's our schools, our lives, and our futures. We're ready to take over. Are you? So that is Soros down there. And But when I dug a little bit deeper, I found out that these two youthful, fresh-scrubbed females who were running the Sunrise Movement got their training from a program called Momentum, MomentumCommunity.org. And it's a training institute and community of movement organizers. And right there on their website, they talk about the debt that they owe to Saul Alinsky. Uh-huh. There we go. Uh-huh. Yeah. And lots and lots of money being thrown at this. So what I was doing a very long-winded thing there for you right now is to say that that when you're looking at these people, those faces that are holding up the placards and they can't even speak English, but they're, you know, they're for something or they're against something, you're looking at major, major money and incredible organization, because that's what I saw when I saw the Sunrise Movement. These people who go down there and demand a climate commission, a climate uh, council for their their city, wherever their city is, they're all wearing matching t-shirts and ball caps, and their placards are just the same. So anyway, thank you for for making me think about that a couple weeks ago. Oh, you are you are cordially welcome. I uh, I welcome any research that you bring to the table, especially when it involves that kind of stuff. I'm betting, and I I can't prove this yet. I was hoping that I could. I've been sitting here kind of typing away while you're while you're explaining all this, and I was hoping at least on the surface, but I probably am going to have to dig a little bit deeper. But mm-hmm. I'm just betting that if we start looking for connections, uh, I mean, I understand that you know the Soros connection and everything you got with that and then the the training of the uh you know these movement organizations that are pledging their allegiance to Saul Alinsky who wrote rules for radicals by the way who dedicated his book to Lucifer I might add <laughs> um you, you couldn't make it up 
I'm betting that if we start looking, we're going to find a connection to the Institute for Policy Studies. I'm just betting that there will be a link somewhere. You may well be right, yeah. Because that seems to be the hub uh, of, of where this started over the last 60 years in the United States. And then, of course, you've got the the European arm of that, which is the Transnational Institute. Anyhow, anything else on that? Because that that was um, that, that's fantastic. The research you dug up on that. Well, you I, I mean, when I was on a couple of weeks ago, you really did get me thinking about that because I I wanted to find that definite link there to Soros, and and I couldn't find the link for this year's protests. But he he was doing exactly what you said he was doing. I mean, and what you were describing was funding immigrants into various countries each leg of their journey. Yep, that's that's what they do. They will. So to just kind of break it down for those that because I know we get new listeners all the time to break it down. So what George Soros will do with his foundations, it's very important to understand that he disconnects himself usually from the day to day stuff. He's insulated himself within his organizations to be able to do that. These organizations that he sponsors, he will then have each one of these groups set up with these foundations in whatever country there is. So, for example, uh, he'll set up something in, say, Venezuela. He'll set up a foundation in Colombia. He'll set up one in Costa Rica. He'll set up one in Mexico, one in El Salvador, Nicaragua, and so on and so forth. They will then go in and they will agitate these groups. They will go to the downtrodden masses in these countries and they will advertise to them, hey, do you want to go to America? We have a way for you to do that. We have a way for all of your friends to do that, all of your children, all of your family. You need to come with us. And they will take them to these centers. They will indoctrinate them. They will work the deal, as I said. Usually in this this particular scheme that we're discussing, this was a deal that was worked between MasterCard, you know, the prepaid MasterCards, and the United Nations. And of course, if you can link that to the United Nations uh, Replacement Migration Program, uh, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's something mm-hmm. they actually talk about. Mm-hmm. Um But what they'll do, they'll start in one of these countries, whatever host country it is, and they'll get paid $1,200 or $800 or whatever it is, you know, whatever's on the amount that's put on that that card, that prepaid MasterCard. And they'll get paid that and they get a refill, they get a top up on that card when they get to the next country, to the next institution that they sponsor. They'll get a top up there and then they'll get a top up at the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one until they finally reach the US border where they will cross illegally as they're doing now by the hundreds of thousands i don't care what the federal government says and then they will be bussed in to the blue cities where they will be given the housing the welfare the food programs the education and the healthcare mm-hmm. and that's how they do it it's just that simple and all this time they're indoctrinated into and they've got groups that sponsor and amplify this message along with the mainstream media to where it's it's culturally accepted or your pick your label, pick your your name that they're going to call you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bruce, you look deep in thought. You want to add to that? No, I was just uh, going through some names and whatnot to see the types of people that are involved in like momentum and uh, some of the uh, other stuff. And uh, it, interesting characters, uh, all of them um, working towards equity and uh inclusion race uh you know those kind of things uh climate um yeah a lot of them specializing in those things there's a few in here though that are caught up i think not potentially not realizing what they're caught up in some of these there's been a few that are that are kind of like 
I don't know the details of the movement, but I've been kind of supportive of it. Um, the you know the the Hong Kong movement that was going on for a while, the umbrella uh, movement. Yeah, the umbrella protests. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, there's a few individuals that were a part of Momentum that were advocating for international human rights and blah blah blah. It's interesting about the. It's interesting you bring that up. I actually heard something about the umbrella protests a couple of weeks ago. I heard somebody who's an expert on communist China explaining that. Bruce, you and I have been doing some research into controlled opposition in uh, how they do this in in Marxist-Leninist societies. And a lot of people surmise, a lot of experts on the matter, they surmise that that was set up by the Chinese Communist Party to give them a pretext to invade Hong Kong 30 years before they should have. They weren't supposed to go in there. It was supposed to remain autonomous. They weren't supposed to go in there until 2050. That was the deal they had with the British when they turned it over. If that is the case, and that's what the Umbrella Movement, as an example, was for... Uh, that would make sense why these people are tied up in momentum, uh, a exactly. communist left wing organization. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is a little bit off, slightly off the topic, but another little area that I went into recently, I I just couldn't think of anything to write about last weekend. And I, I like to be consistent and it popped into my head that maybe I could say something about that. Subway death. Did you hear about that? It happened the first. The subway May. death. This is the uh, this is the guy. We haven't actually talked about that much. This is the guy that uh, that choked out the passenger that was right, threatening to kill right. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did hear about it, but we haven't really talked too much on it behind the scenes. We've we've discussed it a little bit, but not much. What did you find? Well, it just when I looked at just the very superficial elements of it, a movie popped into my head, as often happens. And that was one that I I saw a couple of times with Alan Watt, which was The Bonfire of the Vanities. It was based on a 1987 Tom Wolfe novel, and it was just dealing with um, Wall Street, Manhattan greed at that time, and crime, specifically two black men who had been killed in all white neighborhoods. And um, when I saw the elements of this story that I, I was just like, wow, that that is that movie. And Al, I remember Alan saying about it, there's more truth in this movie than most. So what you have is a white man of 24 years of age who got onto the subway after his architecture class. He's an, an ex-Marine, decorated. There was a homeless man Depending on the site that you look at, he was either mentally ill and crazed, deranged, homeless, or he was um, he was a street performer, Michael Jackson impersonator, who was temporarily experiencing a lack of a home. So, you know, there's always spin. But what you've got there is an attorney general of New York that waited 10 or 11 days before deciding to prosecute You've got the left screaming about the way the right is depicting this young man, claiming he was a sheepdog. And that means someone who is trained to kill, but does so or trained to be violent, but uses that training and that violence to protect the sheep. That's a sheepdog. And lo and behold, this fellow, Daniel Perry, I think is his name. He looks just like a sheepdog. He's let his military crew cut. He's fit good-looking, tall, blonde. His crew cut has grown out to give him these golden curls on his forehead. He looks like a sheepdog. Sheepdog. It literally looks yeah. like a sheepdog. Yes. <laughs> and the, the 
attorney general who's prosecuting him is the first ever African-American in that role. And where did he get significant campaign funding? I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and I can tell by the the smile that I'm probably going to be (laughs) correct on this. I'm going to go with George Soros. Uh Uh-huh. Bingo. Uh Yep. So he gets Soros money. And what does Alvin Bragg, the first African-American attorney general, do three days after he's in office sworn in? He does a San Francisco. Let's he everybody decri- go. <laughs> well, he well, he decriminalized. He says, we're not going to prosecute. He didn't decriminalize. He said, we're not prosecuting prostitution. The, a whole list uh-huh. of things. So he did that a Chessa Bowden. He did a Chessa Bowden. Yeah. And Chessa Bowden is a Marxist. <laughs> yeah. Two, yeah. Two weather underground parents, two cop killers. Yeah. Well, do you know what my brother told me that he had just discovered in research? That Chessa was named for a weather underground, a woman named somebody Chessa or Chessa something. I, uh-huh. I wouldn't be able to recall this right now. But he was named for a cop killer. Yeah, he, he was. And Chessa. The, yeah, his, yeah, his parents, uh, his parents were in prison uh, for for killing uh, for killing security guards during a bank robbery. And I, I don't know if you uh, knew this part of it or not. Uh, maybe you did. But uh, his custodians at that point when his parents got sent to prison were Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. Yes, I did know that. I just I was able to pull up who he was named after. Um, The FBI calls for tips in case of notorious cop killer Joanne Chesimard. I believe that that is who he was named. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She escaped from prison in November of 1979. And Chesa Boudin was was named after Joanne Chesimard. So, but anyway, that's just a little interesting. With George George Soros money is how he got in there again. Yes, (laughs) yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how this is going to play out, but it is definitely this case in New York. It's definitely being set up as a left versus right. And, you know, the interesting thing about the footage, when he put that man in a chokehold, he was helped by two other passengers, at least one of them was African American. This was not a racial incident. Oh, not no. not only that. The the Marine after after he uh, basically put the guy to sleep, he put him into the recovery position afterward. Which is, if you're intending to harm the dude, you're you're intending to kill him. You're not putting him into the recovery position after you've knocked him out. I did not know that. I didn't find that. So that's interesting. Now, if something like that happens and and you you forcibly restrain somebody, you're not looking to to do them harm. Th- those guys, yes, they are trained to kill, but they are at the same time they're also trained to protect American civilians. That's exactly what this young man was doing. He wasn't intending, at least as far as I've I've looked at the case, he wasn't intending to cause this gentleman any harm. He was just looking to restrain him with equal force that the man was showing, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. Uh, it just it was just one of those circumstances, you know, it's just one of those things that that happened. So but I, I smell I smell a drama brewing. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they're going to they're, they're going to exploit this any way that they can. Um, mm-hmm. Think the um, think the George Zimmerman Trayvon Martin case. That's what they're mm-hmm. going to try and turn this into is another oh, one yeah. of those. The the other issue that that popped up was the coroner's report came out really quick and it said, yeah, he died from um, having his um, throat crushed, basically. And when you watch the video, that's not what happened at all. But the other thing that it, it just smelled off 
Um, where's the toxicology report? Where was, did this dude have any drugs in his system? Was there anything going, was there something else going on? Was there a reason that all of a sudden the dude decided he was going to kill everyone? I mean, it kind of sounded like drugs kicked in and, uh, he, he became a problem. Uh, it sounds like another George Floyd situation to where the dude was going to die anyway. He overdosed on his drugs. And uh, it, it sounds like this could have been a, the dude was going to die it just so happened that he was restrained, restrained by this Marine and uh, he died in during that process. And it, it wasn't anything that the Marine did. It was just mm -hmm. the drugs that he took. Well, he was saying, um, I'm I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I don't care. But but in an out of control manner, you know, not like a, a panhandler saying, help me. I need to eat and screaming. I don't care if I die. As he was threatening other passengers, so I I, I, I don't know. We'll we'll find out, but I don't know if we, if I we. I was going to say, will we, we will find, find out? out. I, I don't I mean, think we will. No, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll well, do yeah. everything to keep that uh, from the public. It's like ju just like the George Floyd thing, is, as you <laughs> were discussing. To this day, they've not discussed any of the people that were pushing it. They have not discussed the toxicology report that we all no, looked at. No, you're absolutely and, right. And we said, yeah. hang on a minute. This guy had enough heroin in his system to kill three men. Yeah, he was and like fentanyl. he was he and fentanyl and and he was gonna and he was gonna die. And they didn't release the footage of him sitting in the back of the cruiser car saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. They didn't release that until after the riots happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When he was sitting in the back of the car alone by himself. Yes. Yeah. Then they Perhaps, got him out yeah. of the car. Yeah. They just happened to neglect that part. And none mm -hmm. of these supposed media outlets, these credible fact-checking institutions, none of them, not one, will do a retraction. No. So what I should have said was, we'll find out soon enough how they want us to think this turns out. There you go. Now you got yeah. it. Yeah, there it is. Okay, we'll talk about Russia for a little bit. I, I had mentioned it earlier, at, very briefly, before we, we got off onto something else. It just so happens that there is a, a separatist movement that has cropped up. You know, Bruce, would you have guessed, would, would you have guessed that there is a, there's a Russian militia that has popped up just outside of, uh, I think it's Belgrade is where it is. And well, they're in solidarity with, uh, with Ukraine and uh, they supposedly hit an area last night. Now this is according to Russian media sources. No one here is reporting it. Uh, so take this for what you will. I think the thing's complete bull, but they just so happened to hit an area that has some nuclear weapons stored. Uh-huh. Uh, first, how did they find out that there was nuclear weapons stored there? Because I'm sure Russia keeps that pretty close uh, to their chest. Uh, secondarily, uh, we've talked about uh, how Russia is looking for any excuse to use tactical nukes. And I, I'm sorry, the Russian people were looking for any way to not uh, go to war or to fight uh, to the point that they were having their buddies smash their limbs with a sledgehammer to to mess it up, so they're they're not able to go out and fight. How is it that the, those kind of people then decided, you know what, I'm gonna go get the boys and we're gonna go take a Russian nuclear compound, or at least play. assault it? It doesn't it play. Does, it does they, they've play got everything. Everything's on cue. Absolutely everything. They've got their own separatist flag, so they've got their banner. They've got their own symbols, and everything is like it's just. It's been well choreographed, everything. Has anybody ever heard of them before this event? No. Have, do they have any history, nope. any footprint at all? None. Absolutely none. Yeah. 
but they're very so, well coordinated. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's very well coordinated. You know, it, it's incredible. We were uh, we were discussing this in in prep a little bit, and maybe we can kind of delve into this uh, because this is the kind of conversation we normally don't have, uh, at least not not on uh, not on a podcast. But what's going on over there in in Russia is it's it's kind of interesting to sit and watch when you start looking at how they they manage their society from the top down. And it's almost as if they're kind of they're kind of creating their own reality, if you will. And case in point, we were having this discussion a while back. Bruce, you remember when Alexander Dugan's daughter died in that car bomb in yeah. in Moscow? Yeah, Everybody died, finger quotes. Exactly. Died. Finger quotes. You you actually brought up the point. You said, I don't think she's dead. And I thought, wait a minute. Hang on a minute. How could she not be? Well, let's look at what we know. They blamed it on Ukrainian assassins, right? Of course, that was according to Russian intelligence services. They blamed it on Ukrainian assassins. Of course, plays in their favor. Dugan, when you looked at the video of him standing next to the burning car, he looked like he was a bad actor. It didn't look real at all for a guy that literally just lost his daughter. His only daughter, I think. The cameras that were in Moscow that were watching the car, magically, they were the only cameras that were not working that night. Who got the footage of him watching the car burn? That we don't know. But we saw the footage. That Mm -hmm. we don't know. Then there's the fact that the FSB, who I believe is their own private security, I believe that's that's who watches them, they switched the cars. That was supposed to be Dugan going in the car. That was supposed to be Alexander going in the car. They switched the cars at the last minute. Then the thing blew up. So they're creating their own sense of false reality here. Mm-hmm. But Dugan doesn't play. Not at all. We were discussing him in, in prep. There's something wrong with that. And I've, I've listened to Russian uh, intelligence defectors. Uh, several, uh, several of these guys have, have written books, but I was listening to one in particular. Uh, he's co-authored a few books. His name is, um, uh, last name's Priya Brzezinski. First name is, um, oh, it's, it's slipping from me now, uh, Konstantin. Priya, uh, Priya Brzezinski. And I heard him in a book describe Dugan, and he said there's something wrong with it, and he can't quite figure it out. The guy doesn't speak perfect Russian, as you would expect him to do, but his background credentials don't really check out either. The two of you were digging into his background credentials, and it's almost as if this guy is is completely fabricated. Well, I think the thing that's, that we, as we were talking off air earlier, we kind of talked ourselves to the point that what you had was, I mean, he may he may be fabricated or he may be serving a purpose, but the purpose that it seems that he is serving is giving some kind of ideology and credence to a bigger mythos or philosophy behind far-right nationalism, that he's legitimizing far-right nationalism for Russia. And also like Russia expanding that out to like USSR, you know, a lot of the stands are Muslim or or some of them are, you know, uh, Roman Catholic or what have you. And he comes from the perspective of religion is an important part of existence, if you will. So mm-hmm. he's he's bringing that into play as well. So you have both sides. You you still have the, uh, you know, the, the classic communist agenda. But then he says that religion has its place. And he says, we're still on the side of Lenin. And, and you know, so or uh, Stalin. Uh, yeah, no, it can't be Stalin. They they renounce Stalinism. 
they, they are they're uh, now I'm trying to remember. students of Leninism. I'm pretty sure. Let me let me see what he said here because he the he Stalinist says one. the Stalinist aspect, uh, and I I'm not disputing you. I'm just saying that the Stalinist aspect that was buried when they developed a long range policy. So <laughs> they needed a way that was that was part of their dialectic that they needed to to lay the foundation for perestroika. So they had to bury Stalinism to make it look like they were starting to be reformists. Well, I mentioned to you bef- before we started the the show that. Alan had a listener who wrote to him from time to time who is Brazilian, and he was following Dugan closely. In fact, it was from this Brazilian listener that Alan and I first heard the name Alexander Dugan several years ago. And he was making comparisons at that time between Dugan and an intellectual from Brazil named Olavo de Carvalho. And I, as we were talking before the show today, I stumbled on an article called The Rise of the Traditionalists, How a Mystical Doctrine is Reshaping the Right. Now, this writer put Steve Bannon, who was Trump's advisor for a while and now yeah, has yeah. his own has show. Yeah, has a big podcast. Yeah, yeah, has a big podcast. He put him, lumped him in there with Dugan and Carvalho. But That's interesting. I, 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 that's yeah. interesting. The, the reason I say it's interesting, and this is a, this is a key point, I listen uh, and I follow Steve Bannon as much as I can. I mean, I don't listen to him all, all the time, but the thing that strikes me about Steve Bannon and, and his team is they have it in their head, and I, I don't know why, but they have it in their head that they can somehow break this alliance between Russia and China and bring Russia into our camp. I think that's insane. That's absolutely insane. So I can see why they would lump him in there. Well, and it's also, too, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I think that the two of you know by now I'm cynical. And okay. I, I, so I've is, watched. So is Bruce. <laughs> he says it all. He's yeah. like, I'm a cynic. What can I say? <laughs> so I watch a bit of this and a bit of that and, and just try to get as many sources of information or inspiration as I can. And whenever Bannon is on I can't help but be a bit disgusted as he sits in front of the Virgin Mary and the American flag and a crucifix. He knows the audience that he's playing to. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I do. I do. Very much. Yeah. And I mean, I I don't want to. uh, Who knows what his uh, I don't know the man's soul. I don't. But he was a Goldman Sachs banker and a Hollywood producer. He's got the right kind of credentials to be the front man for, you know, the spiritual movement that is behind the far right. That's what I'm saying. And it appears what we dug into just this little bit of Dugan, and you you also have been into this yourselves for a while, but we're talking, uh, what did we find out today? Satanism, Freemasonry, um, Blavatsky's theosophy, uh, links a Frenchman who was probably one of the godfathers of this kind of new mysticism for the right. So I'm I'm curious when we're assigning this to to somewhere on the political spectrum. You say on the right. So you're saying that these these individuals are are on the far right because I mean I. I'm looking at them coming from the opposite direction. I mean, I understand that if you look at the far right movements as classified as as what's in our history books, I don't really see them as being on the far right because their movements originated on the far left, if that makes sense. Well, I, 
It, it does. It makes absolute sense to me. And the one thing that I mentioned to you again before we were recording, I said Alan had a term for this. He had a, a way of describing them. He called them the Kami Fashi Cappy Pact or the Kami Fashi Cappies at the top. Or, you know, he, he said this quite a few times that you are looking at an alignment so that something looks this way. So, yes, I think that you are right. I think we're looking at elements of the far left who have shaped themselves into being spokespeople with an ideology, a religion, if you will, for the far right. That's what I see. Okay. All right. Um, he did say, by the way, uh, he's, this is uh, Alexander Dugan speaking here. Mm -hmm. We are on the side of Stalin and the Soviet Union. Ah. So mm -hmm. he did say. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I, I had not seen a reference to Stalinism since I've been digging into the stuff that I've been digging in. It was my understanding that that was buried. But I haven't looked in depth all the way down into Dugan yet, except for what we've discussed here uh, so far today. Uh, I've not I've not had a chance to look into him as deeply as I should yet. I haven't read his book on the fourth political theory. It's out there for you to uh, to acquire if anyone has an inquisitive enough mind. Uh, but I guess that goes back to the cynic thing, right? You you want to see mm -hmm. all sides of things. So I mean, it's not as if we enjoy these things that we have to research, but we have to understand them if we want to be objective about things. Well, one of the I mean, the, this is just you know this is wiki research here, but um, we're in the late '80s. Dugan was part of an ultra-nationalist, what's described as anti-Semitic Pamyat group. Not just a few years later, he was on the far left in the newly formed Communist Party of the Russian Federation. So, but, and now he is a key advisor to Putin. So what's going on here? You know, who is he? But what is really interesting are the kind of where he's reaching into what you might call the esoteric or the that that part of Nazism that was into the esoteric. You know, I, I've I've looked into that the occultist stuff that was behind the rise of what would become later the Nazi Party. And if you look at the guys that were responsible for the making of Hitler, guys like Dietrich Eckhart. If you look at guys mm -hmm. like him, he was one of the leading German industrialists. I mean, the guy was just more or less a drunk than anything else, but he was a part of an occultist group with other German industrialists. And they believed that within within this guy, the, this this young Adolf Hitler, they believed that within that they could resurrect uh, some type of a political movement that was based upon the occult. That's what the foundation of it was. They were hoping by that time they would be able to control it, but it was... It ended up turning into a monster that was beyond their control, uh, at least from that aspect of, of researching it. Uh, that's what I was able to find. But I was I was confused when I started hearing about this um, this term theosophy. I thought, what on earth is theosophy? When I had mentioned that word to you a couple of weeks ago, you immediately said Blavatsky. Mm -hmm. And I thought, really? You know about this? This is something that they believe is deeply rooted within Russian society as well, at the top, uh, behind the, the elitists in Russia. Now, we still don't know. If, if you're basing it on that, we still don't know who's actually calling the shots over there. We don't know. Obviously, Putin is, is the guy that we see, but we don't know who's behind him. We don't know who's behind 
that group that runs and calls the shots. And we don't know what drives them and what motivates them and what inspires them. But I'm betting it has something to do with this. Well, I think, you you know, if you uh, they all loved Hegel too, include, you know, including Dugan. But I, I think if you look at what you're seeing and what the left is telling us to be very, very afraid of, the left is saying to be afraid of populism. The left is saying to be afraid of nationalism. Um, uh, we're also being told that the nation is more or less over. We're being told by the Klaus Schwab types of the world that we are in the fourth industrial revolution and that we are post-nation. And we know that they've wanted to take us post-nation for a while. But you, you've got something playing out at a slightly lower level that is very appealing to people. Because remember, nations, whether they are obsolete or viable, are made up of people. And people fundamentally, um, they care about their family and their communities, their children. Do they have enough to eat? And these things get lost in the far left. Who, if for all of their talk about the welfare state and the you know all the things that they're going to do with social programs and so forth, People recognize that their needs are fundamentally overlooked. Basic needs are overlooked by the left. And the pendulum swings, but the pendulum is not set up to run by itself. <laughs> Maybe a better uh, analogy would be the puppeteer moves the players from the far left to the far right. Because you are seeing, um, you remember how close that woman in France came, or she, I don't know that she was really close to getting elected, but she certainly gave it a run for the money. And the prime minister of Italy right now is a woman who ran on a pro-family, anti-abortion. And of course, she's described as being far right, far right, far right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Marine Le Pen is who you're thinking. Yes, of. yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, she got she got a, a bit of a of a bad reputation. I think it was mostly because of what her father did. Uh, he ran mm -hmm. the, uh, the Front National, I think, is the uh, the group. But you know, I I look at a lot of these these European. I mean, obviously, you know, being on on the side of the Atlantic, I have a you know more uh, in depth perspective of these things. And I I look at at all these so called far right parties over here and these representatives, and I think to myself, these parties aren't on the right at all, not at all. You know, mm -hmm. it, they're all about the the social programs and the handouts and the the give me's to everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, that has nothing to do with conservatism, at least no. from an, from an American perspective. It's all about you know the individual. We want you to be what you want to be, and we want you to make it. We want you to be able to help yourself and not have the state give you handouts. Now I understand that that people do get down on their luck, and I mean, if we're going to have these systems, then we might as well use them responsibly, right? So. Mm -hmm. If you get down on your luck and, and you get yourself in a rut, there should be programs that are out there if we have them for food assistance, housing assistance or whatever. But it shouldn't become a lifestyle. They should be right. programs that you're on to get the assistance you need and then to get off of it. And you know what? Most people that I've known that have been on that stuff, they don't talk about it because they're ashamed. They have too much pride and they just move on. They take what they need and then they they get themselves back on their feet. So if we're going to have these programs, then that's how they need to be used. But these parties and, and these representatives over here that get slapped with these labels that you're talking about, the far right and, and whatever, these people aren't on the right at all. 
not by any stretch, at least not from any kind of perspective that I see things through, any kind of lens that I'm looking at it through, because I see no possibility for somebody to want to be independent. The worst thing that you can possibly do to another human being is to give them stuff. That's the worst thing you can do to somebody. That causes decadence, that causes stagnation, and it causes collapse. There is no motivation for society at large when you have a dependent society like that. So I don't see anything that's that's on the, the quote, far right when it comes to these, these parties. So I, I love it when they slap these labels on these things. And, and most of them, as we've been looking at last night, we look at a lot of these, these representatives that are in the European Parliament, and they're not even what they claim to be. I, I think that's another podcast for another day. That's another conversation to be had. But a lot of the people that we're looking at are not exactly who they appear to be. I guess I can just kind of leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think a thought just crossed my mind, too, when you were talking about the shame of uh, uh, applying for a social program. I mean, it, it, what crossed my mind would have been what Alan would have said. You know, fundamentally, whether you're looking at Capi Fasci Kami, you're looking at the ancient con of money. And with the ancient con of money, it's an anti-human system. And so you're always going to be able to be moved from the far left to the far right and back and forth and back and forth again, because the fundamental structure is anti-human. It does not sustain life. It is anti-life. And truthfully, even in what we call capitalism, there is, there is no room now that I can see for the individual or for any human success. And, and I'm not talking material, the, the human success, the, the elevation of the human spirit in a materialistic capitalist society. So I, I would have to side with Alan's point on this is that you're looking at an ancient, awful system and we are given this year's or this decade's or this century's antidote for something that we all know at our marrow is anti-human. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? Final thoughts? No? <laughs> no? no? Final thoughts? We're, we're at time, if you can believe okay. it. That's why I'm asking. Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, no, I, I thank you as always for an opportunity to, to come and chat with you. It's always interesting. To me. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. We love having you on. We will see you in two weeks. Great. All right. Uh, we will go ahead and uh, and we will call this one done. Again, that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that they have, that they maintain, the life-collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Also, you can subscribe to her podcast. That is Real History with Melissa uh, is, is the correct title for that podcast. It's available everywhere you get your podcast. Would you like to tell us about the latest episode? Well, the one that I posted last week was really interesting. It was called An Individual. And I spoke with Michael in Sweden, who had a, a very interesting story of his life, born in Ghana, lived in Cyprus in his teen years, was in the military in Cyprus. So it was fascinating um, conversation with him and especially about what's going on in Sweden right now in terms of social engineering and particularly the role of the man and the family. And what I've got upcoming for tomorrow is going is entitled Judy in disguise with glasses. 
I'm assuming that's a, a spinoff of uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I kind of figured. So, okay, that's uh, that's great. Again, it's uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, and we will see you in two weeks. So that will do it for today. I'd like to thank you both for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone, and have a great evening.